And that's one of the things that we're actually going to talk about a little bit tonight because it's what Jesus says here that the gospel is the good news about the kingdom. And I don't know if any of you here are monarchists and you're like, that sounds fantastic. I love this sort of thing. But it's sort of, it's a very strange set of language for us. So we're going to pick out a little bit of what that's about in hopefully this nice short talk here that is yet going to really get at something that Jesus really cared about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this chance to gather together. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us now, that you would be present now, that we would hear you speak to us, that we'd understand who Jesus is and how we should relate to him and that our hearts will be afresh, renewed, engaged, so that, Lord, you would be the one who leads us and that we would live uh, with you in ways that bring honour to your King Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as Steve said, this is the sixth and final talk of our Advent series in Matthew, The Importance of Being Israel, where Matthew introduces us to Jesus, the the true Israelite. So Matthew 1, the Holy Spirit brings about this God-man into the world, into this kingly line of the people, Israel. So he had his genealogy. Matthew 2, he lives out his people's history, going into Egypt and exile and all of these things. He lives out their history. Matthew 3, he takes responsibility for his people's sin, saying sorry on their behalf. And then last week, his character and integrity gets tested, as Israel's had been when they were in the wilderness. And he trusts Israel's God. And now he begins the ministry. He starts it. He starts doing what he's come to do. And you've got to think this is a fair bit to live up to. He's been built up. He's been set up. He's been through the training. He's passed the exams. He's starting his career. And it starts very successfully. Um, from other Gospels, we know that Jesus' following became greater than John the Baptist around this time. And yet, the funny thing is, the first thing that he does is he withdraws. He actually goes away from anywhere that is inhabited. He says here, um, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Galilee's in Nowheresville. And, when, and, and, and Matthew says that this was actually to fulfill what Isaiah had predicted. And so in Isaiah 9, we've got this sort of quote here at the start of Isaiah 9. It's too small to read, but it's the same words. You can see the top left there. This land of Zebulun and Naphtali, walking in darkness, they will have this light come. They will have this one uh, rock up who is their light. Now, the end of that is the other part of Isaiah 9 that everyone knows from Christmas about, and I'll just make this a bit bigger so I can read it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. See, if this is, this is huge. And if Jesus is really going to be this guy, the wonderful counsellor, then he must, like Isaiah predicted, begin in humble places. In particular, this particular humble place, the, out in the boondocks in Galilee, like Isaiah says. Now, the thing is, Matthew doesn't mean, when he says this was to fulfil, that Jesus in his conscious mind was choosing to do this for that reason. The way that Matthew phrases it is the same as his earlier statement when he says, look, all this came about in order to complete the story that God had been telling. So see, in this world, there can be more than one cause for the same event. God can have one plan for something, 
but humans can make their choices that help to bring that about for completely different reasons. You chose to come here this afternoon and God wasn't caught out by that. But you chose it. God didn't force you to be here. You, we drove, walked and Ubered, but all the pieces uh, have ended up on the board and the chessboard exactly where God would have them be. For he is the author of our story. Now, so what that means is that God's plan is sovereign even when there's another explanation for things. Is that the way you view your life? That God's plan is sovereign even when also there's another explanation. So, so something doesn't have to be spooky or unexplainable or, or weird or like, oh, that's a bit serendipitous for God to be behind it. For he is always working out his purposes. Now, so what was, what was Jesus thinking in his withdrawal then? If, if, he, if, if, if he wasn't thinking, oh, I've got to, oh, hold on, I remember Isaiah 9, I've got to, go, I've got to spend a few years in and, you know, Naphtali and Zebulun, that's, that's going to be boring. He wasn't thinking, oh, I need to fulfill the prophecy. All the commentators will say that it's because he didn't want to die early. And he saw that John got taken to prison. Now, um, nearly one year ago to the day, uh, Mel and I did the Bishop and Clark track for our anniversary. You know, the one on Mariah Island has quite a nice little... Um, Nice little uh, peak there, and uh, you go up to the top, and that's where you stand, the very top there, and it's about as intimidating as that looks. And the day that we went, we were at the very last bit. Like, it was just one clamber onto one, one rock higher, and we were at that very peak there. And it was blowing a gale. It was so windy. And uh, I've got to say, at that point, I feel very Christ-like because I used exactly the same logic as Jesus. I don't want to die early. <laughs> and I didn't get up on the top rock. And Mel was a bit braver, and she started to, with nervous husband standing there ready to grab legs. And, but no, she, in the end, she didn't either. It was just too windy. Now, look, Jesus' mission always had death at its climax, right? That, that, that was his destiny, it's mine too, by the way. All of us, we're going to all die one day. Uh, so why did, my question is, if Jesus, why would Jesus use that, that, that reasoning? Maybe in one sense you think, well, you know, why did he delay to go to Lazarus? Uh, what did he need to, to delay his death for? What would have been left undone if Jesus had have gone to Jerusalem then, angered the Pharisees and the Sadducees enough to get in trouble then, and then died, in fa- died straight away then? What would be left undone? Well, Jesus here, we see, needed the time to train up some fishermen. Uh, Where are we? We are in... um, It's back here. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. See, Jesus had people to prepare. And I want us to notice two things about that. The first thing is that that takes time. And God is patient. So it took three years of doing ministry with these guys to prepare them for the time when he would be gone. So firstly, it takes time. But second thing that I want us to notice here is that it took time together. You see, uh, when he says, come follow me, he means come and live with me, come and be with me, not just sort of listen to the sermons, not just sort of uh, do the course, but be 
with me, live, be close. If you want to know someone, then you have to be with them. Observing from a distance isn't going to cut it. You've got to observe them in the little things of life. How do they handle those things? I mean, how did, how did Jesus handle conflict? Can you just imagine what it would be like to, to watch Jesus do that? Did, did he blow up? Did he withdraw from conflict? Was he assertive? Did he apologize? These guys who wrote our New Testament lived with him and watched this and breathed this. They saw what he was like. Uh, was Jesus a good listener? Was, he willing to, was Jesus willing to change his mind on anything? Were Jesus' objectives the most important thing in his world, or did he have the time for people too? Did he let people and tasks keep him from time with his God? What was Jesus like? The disciples could never know any of this unless they were with him up close. And so Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. He says, come be with me. You gotta see, if you want, I'm, I'm going to call you to follow me, and I'm not going to hide anything about what that means from you. You're going to know if I'm legitimate or not. Because I'm going to let you live with me so you can know who I truly am, even in my weakest of moments. And I think one of the things for us here is that we need to be with God to know God. Have you ever had that, that feeling, that sense that I know about God, but I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if I could say I, I know God? Well, we have to be with God to know God. And you might find that the people who seem to know God in your life are the people who are people of prayer, who are with him a lot. Now, a couple of things to notice that aren't about Jesus, but are actually about the fishermen. I mean, obviously they followed Jesus when he called, but did you notice, did you notice the how of that? Did you notice how they, they, they followed him? Now, I went fishing at Fortescue Bay uh, a week or two back, managed one sort of left-handed cast that was decent, but, but on a couple, I was just doing my normal, normal right-handed ones, and I was distracted by the other rods and, and trying to not hook my sort of six-year-old daughter who was sitting next to me with the hook, and, and, and so I got distracted mid-cast, and so it was the old sort of, you know, three-metre cast, sort of just plop that. Now we're in a boat, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> we're just dropping the line in. But still, I'm used to, like, fishing on the beach where, you know, it's sort of that, sort of, uh, you know, you're sort of everyone standing on the beach and watching everyone else cast to see if they can actually get it out to the gutters into the, to the nice deep spots or if you're sort of just... And so I'm feeling pretty humiliated at this point. And it's in mid-cast that Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. Did you notice? They are casting their net. And that, that's the kind of cast nets that they would have been casting, those uh, sort of uh, you throw it and then it spreads out as you go. So there's a bit of skill involved in this. And immediately they left their nest, nets and followed him, is what Matthew tells us. Now, James and John are probably working with different nets. Matthew uses a different word for them. They're prepping the drag nets in the boat, fixing holes, rigging them up, kind of thing you don't want to leave half done. But Matthew says the same thing. Immediately, they follow him. It's interesting how they do that. Now, with James and John, it's even more of a thing. Matthew specifically mentions that they're in the boat doing this with Dad. With Dad. Now, I don't know if you know these two guys, James and John, son of Zebedee, but if you don't want to know where they have a nickname, their nickname is Sons of Thunder, right? These are forceful guys. These are, these are you know, strong-willed guys. And if you follow the family tree, so James, John, Sons of Thunder, so that makes Zebedee the thunder, right? And notice verse 22. Immediately. Immediately. They leave 
the boat and their father and they follow him. Carefully chosen words. They leave the boat. Now, that's a thing to leave your livelihood. They do it immediately. That's a, that's a strange thing. And they leave their father, which is definitely when he's thunder, the, 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 the definition thereof, and they follow Jesus. You see, Jesus' call actually puts them in kind of an awkward position, doesn't it? They had to give up something. They had to choose dad and everything that they've ever known or Jesus, and they follow Jesus which really is how it always is being a follower of Jesus. As a general principle, if you're not giving up anything in your following of Jesus, then chances are you might not really be doing it. Now, Jesus continues in his ministry. He goes on. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, the places they would gather, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And we get to that phrase that Marika mentioned the good news of the kingdom. It's actually the second mention of it. Back in verse 17, Matthew tells us, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. What, what is the kingdom of heaven? Like, like do, we, do, do you know what, like, would you have a definition of that? Um, do we need to know? Like, I think we do, because it's kind of important if you look at verse 23, because there, the gospel, like the message, the only message the church has, the, the thing that the church stands or falls on, is described as the message of the kingdom. And four verses away, like in, in, you're starting into chapter 5, the next chapter, the poor in spirit are blessed because the kingdom belongs to them. It's about the kingdom. It, it seems to be at the very center of what Jesus cares about, but do we know what the kingdom of God means? Now, before we answer the question... I'd actually like to make it harder. When we were talking about the gospel, the thing, some of the things that we talked about were things that we didn't know until later. So that we wouldn't die again, that we'd actually be able to be with God. We, didn't know that, we don't know about resurrection until we get to Jesus' own resurrection, right? Uh, we, we don't have sins of people being paid for at the cross until later in Matthew, right? The things that we said, that Jesus, the, we don't have the, the, the connection between God and people being made good again until the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in his people. The, the, these things that all happen later. And yet here, we've got this kingdom thing, the gospel being all about it, and it's already come near, says Jesus. He's already preaching the gospel. How can he do that? How can he preach the gospel? I haven't done the, all the things we said with the gospel, he hasn't done yet. He hasn't made them real. How can that be? What is the kingdom of God? Well, there's a couple of things we can work out that it can't be from the start. It can't be about a, an ethnic government because it spreads across the whole world, we find at the end of Matthew 28. It can't be about a political kingdom because Jesus says it comes to the poor in spirit, not the powerful. And it can't be about a geographical kingdom because it happens in people's hearts. So, so, so kingdom can, can be a bit misleading for, uh, as an English translation for people who aren't so familiar with monarchy and, and empire culture. Uh, maybe a, a way to think of it is when you see the word kingdom in the Bible, don't think borders, bricks and mortar. Think about what places are the king's words heeded? What's a place where the king's rule matters. 
because it's because his words are obeyed. Now, if that's what the kingdom of God is, then when you see Jesus, the kingdom has already come near. Because Jesus has come near to humanity. Because in Jesus, we see a human heart where God is king. You see, the kingdom is wherever God is ruling. It's the extent of his rule. In social media terms, it's the the kingdom is God's reach, right? Uh, Not his influence, but of those who willingly bow the knee to him and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's the kingdom. That's where you know that that exists, where the king's word is obeyed. And before Jesus had ever been to Gethsemane and faced the cross, like in I know it's coming in a couple of days, he was in the wilderness, with the devil saying, here's a way that you can have all the kingdoms of the world. You can have your full inheritance. I'll give it over to you. And you don't have to go to the cross if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus in that moment, already here, has rejected that option in favor of obeying his father and his king. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And so when we ask, what does it mean that the kingdom has drawn near? How could the gospel be that the kingdom has come near? Well, the answer to that is because the good news is that Jesus has come near. Not because Jesus is king, though he is, but because Jesus is a place where God is king. He's a place where God rules completely. One of the ways that Jesus is so much like his great-grandfather, King David, who could, he was a He was a dodgy guy. He did some very wrong things. What was the difference between David and Saul was that David lived as if he knew that he had a king himself. So when the word of God came to David, he didn't make excuses. He didn't slide away. He he didn't try to to say, oh, but I, but I, but I. He humbled himself and obeyed the word of God when it came to him. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. And that's who Jesus is here. Jesus And his life is a place where God rules completely. And that is why when Jesus is near, the kingdom is there. Because here is a space where God is honoured. Now, as as we see this work out, the news about him spreads all over Syria. That's probably this area in the northeast, which is actually where all the lost tribes of Israel who were taken into into captivity by Assyria sort of would have been scattered, the leftovers of them. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. You see, the interesting thing that we see here is that the kingdom of God is where we see God's power. These people come from all over, everywhere where Israel has ever been. The the exile into the north, the exile into the east, from the north of Israel, from the mixed up bits of of Israel where it's ethnically all a bit weird now, to the very center of power in Judah. All of Israel's come after this guy who is their king. And then not only that, uh, all diseases, there is none outside of his power to cure. All demonic influences, there's none outside of his power to get rid of. And so this being the the end of his preparation phase, we get to the point where we see that our Christ is actually complete. He is the kingdom in a man. He is the one Israelite 
that needed to exist, that needed to be to save the whole world because it was needed to be an Israelite who did it. That's what God set up in the first place. And the devil thought he'd had his win by corrupting all of Israel until God himself came to be the true faithful Israelite. This guy's rule is over all of Israel. His power over disease is complete. His power over the demonic is complete. And his disciples demonstrate the beginnings of a kind of completeness to their following of him that will end in them giving their lives to make disciples all over the world. Christ is beautifully here, complete. He's been made into the man who God needed to have to save the world. Now, I'm not the person that I wish to be. I'm not complete, and I don't know if you think that you are. But we're not. I mean, some of us might have even struggle to get here today because there's a lot going on and and you feel like I'm not even sure I'm going to get here and you're painfully aware that you're not complete maybe you felt bad when you saw how completely disciples left everything to follow Jesus and you're like there's just so many things I've tried to leave in my following Jesus that I just haven't see when we get to the end of the gospel the disciples abandon Jesus too you see the completeness that Jesus is looking for is not located inside you the completeness that God requires is not, is not from these fishermen, but from the one who called them. You, you see, we're not supposed to stand there and think about what happened at the edge of the Lake of Galilee and think, man, those four fishermen, those dudes, like they're just, you know, uneducated fishermen, but they recognized the Messiah and that must have been so insightful of them. And then they went and changed the world by their preaching. And no, those, those guys abandoned their leader, the hardest times for their leader. Matthew wants our admiration directed completely towards Jesus. He wants us to, 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 to imagine being with that Jesus and thinking, man, there was something about that guy. There was something about Jesus that the dumb fisherman from the, from the Lake of Galilee could tell. Blind Freddy could tell. The whole world went up and everyone could see. There was something powerful about this man, the way he lived, who he was. When even when you got up close after three years of knowing what he was like, all you could see was the kingdom of God, the place where God's rule was perfect and beautiful. When you see a person, a human like that, I someone to follow. I'm not complete. But I'm so glad that God made someone who is, so that there's a, hu- a human to join who can reconnect us and reconnect our relationship with God. The, the point tonight is not to be different, but to really look at Jesus and appreciate him and to see that he's so different, so good, so loving, so his character so pure. that, Or if you read through the Sermon on the Mount and think, oh my goodness, that's like impossible to keep. And you're like, well, Jesus was just, just preaching out his life, how he was. And that my, my prayer in that is that in that, we follow him and go to him, that he be our leader, and that we see in him the same thing as the disciples did and thought, I've just got to follow this guy, whatever I have to leave behind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for not having Jesus do things too quick, for not wanting to just get the hard stuff over and done with, 
but Father, that he lived as the lone and sole member of your kingdom so that people would see what it was like to be with a member of it, so that people, the, those disciples could grow to trust him and to see just how incredible a human being can and should be. And Father, I fall so far short of that. But Father, pray for all of us that we would see as we read your scriptures. Father, help us to read your word and to, to see this, this man who was, was truly God visited us and to, to see your glory and your goodness as we see the way that he lived and died and rose again for us. Father, give, open the eyes of our hearts that we might recognize that there is someone here worth following. And Father, we pray that it would be not our awesome acts of will to, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything that I got, but Father, that it would be the beauty of Jesus, the goodness of him that would just captivate us so that we just can't do anything else. And we ask it in his name for his glory. Amen.